0: Good afternoon, everybody. We're going to be talking about Matthew 16 today, and part of that is going to be about picking up our cross and following Jesus. So like normal, we're going to wait for some people to hop on. I'm going to go ahead and put it actually in the chat. Marine. Jenny, hello! Hello, Sanja. Sonja? That's what I think your name is. Sonja. Hello. Jenny, are you working today? Or earlier today? Or tonight? at work again, so I might have to miss the end of the life. No worries. Your break's probably like 15, 20 minutes. Sunjana is the way to pronounce it. Sunjana. Sounds good. Sterles, good to see you. We're going to give it a couple more minutes for people to hop on like normal, and then we'll start with the word of prayer. took my 15 earlier so I've got 30 minutes oh perfect that should be perfect well I say perfect but we'll probably go longer than that knowing how this normally goes hello all right do you pronounce your name Ellie or L my sister's name is Ellie she is amazing once again we're just going to give it a little bit longer for people to hop on and get going Diego it's good to see you man Matthew 16. Sarah Friesen. Blake, thanks for hopping on, dude. My niece's name is Ellie, small name world. That's awesome. My sister's name is without the E at the end, though. God's personal soldiers. Amen. Praise God. Good to hear that. Give it another minute and two, and we 'll open up with word prayer. hope you all are doing super well today. Um, for those of you on this morning, if you are on this morning, I am interested in what you did today to step out in faith what's up Zach <clears throat> Hello everybody. One more minute, and we're gonna we're gonna pray and get going. YBC, YBC. I want to say hi to all you guys, but sometimes your usernames are impossible to pronounce. <laughs> I'm not very good at that. Morgan, it's good to see you. Jenny, you don't know my real name, right? I'm actually called Jennifer. I just prefer Jenny. Beautiful name, Jenny. And since you prefer Jenny, I will continue to call you Jenny. All right, well, let's start with a word of prayer and we'll get going with Matthew 16. (sighs) Heavenly Father, we come before you, Jesus, and we thank you for another opportunity to just read your word, to be on here together, to to see what you have for us. God, when we take the the moment out of our day to intentionally look at what you tell us, what your heart is and your heart for us is, God, it always blows us away and we can always walk away with something. And we thank you for that. See, Jesus, I pray that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that's receptive to your love and what you have. Thank you, Jesus, in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen so Matthew 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees demand signs. This should go well. Let's go. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came already there. That's really big. Why? What's the different? What, what is important about the Pharisees and the Sadducees? The Pharisees and the Sadducees were often bitter opponents. Here, though, they joined forces against Jesus. They saw him as a threat to their leadership and power. So that's very important to have the context of that. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, to test Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, Jesus answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Now, a couple of things to point out here. Have you ever heard of that, um, the sailors, the sailors rhyme, right? Red sky in the morning, say, um, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky by morning, sailors take mo- warning. That's beautiful because it's also in scripture. That's been around forever. And Jesus is actually saying that to the Pharisees and Sadducees here. You go, it will be fair weather. when it's, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And so this is what Jesus goes on to say. He says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. So where's the problem here? We have, to, we have to know why Jesus is not offering a sign. Well, first of all, they're not looking for a sign in which he has already shown them. What do I mean by that? It's not the fact that they're asking for a miraculous sign. It's one, how they're asking. And two, that they're ignoring the sign that's already there. So once again... Pharisees and Sadducees, often bitter opponents, except for this instance, they came together because they knew they could keep fighting. But Jesus, this Jesus guy, is going to be start start threatening their leadership positions. So once enemies came together and started attacking Jesus, and they said, if you're the God, you know, give us a sign. So why is, what does what the sign of Jonah mean? I got to flip over to the other side here, 12, 39. So, Jonah's rescue by God was a sign to the people of Nineveh that his message was from God. Jesus' death and resurrection will likewise be God's sign to the present generation. So, just like Jesus later in this chapter will rebuke Peter for stepping out of what God wants and into what man wants. What did they want? They wanted to sign right now that he was the, the son of God. And Jesus was like, no. I've already told you step in faith, step in expectation, and I will show you that sign when I die for you and re and unify you for the first time with, with, with your father. But they were like, no, obviously. And so that's why he goes, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. These people knew old Testament prophecy, right? they should be able to see how all these signs are playing into effect of how he, of how Jesus is the son of God. But they asked for more. Why? To tear him down out of selfish, selfish deceit. So that's why Jesus rebukes them there. So now let's, let's continue. The leaven, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. This, this section actually kind of made me laugh. Je- Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And the disciples, <laughs> the disciples, they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? So Jesus, Jesus looks at them and he says, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. walks away, right? Just picture this. Jesus walks away. And so now the disciples are looking at each other. And they're like, what the puke does that mean? Why is he talking about bread? <laughs> <laughs> and and Jesus is like, no, I'm not talking about bread. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. When they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. It, it's, I found it, I can't, obviously I can't tell if you guys are laughing or even found that a little bit funny on the other side, but I found that funny because It it emphasized how, how much the disciples and everything had to learn. Yet they were willing, they were stepping in faith, they were following Jesus. But time and time again, Jesus had to open their eyes to the reality, the truth, who he was. And what's crazy, once again, this is all pointing to their transformation when the Holy Spirit, just like we have today, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and transforms them. Right? So let's keep going. Peter confesses Jesus as Christ. This is insane. This is crazy. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, now this is important, right? So this place was an important city, 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It was the center of worship for various pagan deities, including Baal, the Greek god Pan, and even Caesar Augustus himself, who is regarded as a god in the official Roman region. So now when Jesus came into this district, this city, he asked his disciples, "Who do people say the Son of Man is?" And they said, "Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of one of the prophets." He said to them, "And this is the same question I'm going to ask you today. But who do you say that I am?" Who do you say that Jesus is? If he was standing I want you to be serious about this. If he was was standing in front of you just like I am right now. Sorry, I got to call somebody. If he was standing in front of you just like I am right now. And he asked you, he said, who do you say I am? What would you say? Who do you say I am? I'm going to be speaking actually on this. uh, Parts of this at a, an event in September 20, it's called the Stand. And actually that's one of the um that's one of the events that we're really looking forward to because what he um, the main theme of it is who do you say Jesus is? <clears throat> so that's what Jesus says. He goes, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now we have to understand how big that is. That how Simon Peter replied right there, created this transition, and for maybe once in his lifetime, in all their lifetimes, the first time, the disciples' eyes were open to the reality that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So we have to break this down, right? Now, forewarning, this part of scripture is very controversial. It's it's debated because people don't know how to take this. So, for flesh and blood has not been has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven and I tell you you are Peter and then Jesus goes on to say and on this on that profession on that confession that that Peter said that you are Christ the son of God the living God Jesus says on that confession I build my church I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it what does that mean That everyone who professes with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and that declares in their heart that he rose from the dead shall be saved. On that confession, Jesus built his church, will build his church. And on that confession, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Why? Because with the authority that comes with Jesus dying on the cross and the Holy Spirit within us, the Holy Spirit comes upon us with authority and the power to rebuke the devil. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Death is not our destiny. Eternal life is. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit came down and revealed the revelation that the disciples struggled so much with seeing. That when the Holy Spirit came upon them, just as it does to us today, we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to perceive the true love that God has for us. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And now let me ask you, why does Jesus say this next part? This is taken out of context all the time, this last little part. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Why did he do that? Why? Because people will use this verse and the ones very similar like it. And say, well, this is why you shouldn't—you <clears throat> shouldn't talk about what God has done miraculously through you, or you shouldn't talk about um, miracles or what people perceive as boasting. <clears throat> and uh, I'll get to your question in a second here, Maya. Then he strictly, so sorry, I lost my train of thought. So then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. He said this, Jesus warned his disciples against telling anyone that he was the Christ, since the concept of Christ Messiah was widely misunderstood by the crowds and often by the disciples themselves. He told them not to share that because even the disciples themselves couldn't really fathom what it meant. And that's why when Peter said this, Peter confessed Jesus as Christ, and he was the spokesperson for the disciples. So what that means, it wasn't just Peter, but it was the disciples, when they professed him as Christ, suddenly their eyes were opened. And they understood the meaning of what Messiah was more than they did before. And that's why he said, don't, don't tell anybody about this because people will not understand. It will put a hindrance in what God the Father is trying to do here. So on that confession, my old pastor said the church was built on Peter as an elder. Yes, that's why I said before we talked about it, how that passage is controversial because controversial in, that, in the sense that a lot of people will take it a different way. And it will determine how on how, which parts you view scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm sure that he did. That's a different interpretation of that passage. And if you'd like to know more about that, you can um, research it. Yes, Blake. N.T. Wright talks about the Jewish people had a wrong focus on what the Messiah was coming to do. If you would like to know more about that, just look up what they believe about the Messiah today and how he's coming. So <clears throat> Is this sinking in? Are you understanding the the depth of the reality of what Peter being the spokesperson for the disciples, so the disciple disciples now saw, they admitted Jesus as Christ. That is huge. And the beauty of it is the disciples didn't have the word of God, right? They didn't have the completion of of seeing the story from the beginning to the end. And what's crazy is that we do in the same way we have the Holy Spirit. But let's keep going. Jesus foretells his death and resurrection. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes. Oh, and be killed. (laughs) Let's repeat that. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So before we get to that, you know, imagine somebody you love so much that you've literally dropped everything for, that you've, you've dropped it all, you've sacrificed it all, you've surrendered everything, you're pursuing him, and your ideology of what this person is supposed to be doing, and suddenly he comes up to you and says, oh, by the way, I'm going to, I'm going to die soon, and then I'm going to, I'm going to be raised, and then I'm going to, you know, you guys are going to keep doing your thing. So this will give context to Peter's reaction. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Can you imagine being rebuked by Jesus like that? Oh, that just, I kind of gives me shivers right now thinking, thinking that my, my Lord and Savior rebuke someone like that, you know, especially Peter who who loved him, who probably had a at least deemable good intention behind what he was going, yet even with the good intention, we have to acknowledge that his mind, just like ours sometimes, are set on the things of man rather than the son of man himself. I mean, the son of God himself, not the son of man, son of God himself, And so Peter went up to him and he said, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Little did he know he was hindering the very thing that would save him and unite him with God the Father. And so Jesus rebuked him. Why is this so important? In the Jewish master-disciple relationship, it would have been unthinkable for a disciple to correct his master, let alone rebuke him. So it wasn't even just... Correction. It was a firm rebuke, a harsh rebuke. This shall never happen to you. The Old Testament teaches, however, that the Messiah must suffer. So, why Peter? Why Peter was so wrong here is he just admitted that Jesus is Christ, right? He he just admitted that Peter um, Jesus is Christ, and knowing that he knows Old Testament prophecy, right? Knowing that he starts. He, he, there's a division, right? His own desire on what he thinks the Messiah should be, and the truth of the reality of what the Old Testament pro, um, prophesied the Messiah to be. And so Peter, knowing both truths, decided to go with his, which in fact isn't the truth. And that's why Jesus rebuked him so harshly, because he was aware of both truths. Well, Jenny, what would you say here? There's such a stark contrast between how Jesus addresses Peter here than literally a few verses before. Exactly. Because Peter says, You're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, Yes, thank you. You see it. Don't tell anybody, but you see it. And then Peter's like, but I don't I don't want you to do what you've been called to do. And Jesus is like, Why are you being weird? Stop it, you know? Rebuke. Probably not like that. That's maybe how I would have done it, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> anyway. So um <clears throat> Yeah, 22. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. Powerful. And now here, here's one of my favorite parts of scripture. I say that every single live stream but it's true. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul or what shall a man give in return for his soul For the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. Have you guys read that before? I'm sure you've heard it, but have you read it before? In its entirety. What does that mean? Blake, well done. We're going to be talking about it. (laughs) Thank you. So let's break it down. Um, I'm kidding. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, anyone, anyone coming after Jesus, let him or her, Let that person deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. How beautiful is that? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So what does that mean? When we think about, yeah, we'll break it down, guys. Don't worry. Think about when, when you pick up your cross, what does that mean? Before Jesus died, the the cross was a sign of death and condemnation. When Jesus died and rose again, the cross stopped being a sign for the greatest of traitors, the greatest of prisoners, the most hated people. It stopped being a sign of sin and condemnation and it turned into a symbol of life, of faith, freedom, and victory. And so what does it mean when you say deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me? It's to get on one knee. It's to get on one knee to bend down, to bow in reverence and obedience and submit yourself to God, picking up faith, freedom and victory and pursuing after Christ because he enabled you to do so. So let's next verse 25 for whoever would save his life will lose it. So whoever saves his own life in the sense of, you know what? I'm not actually going to pick up my cross and pursue Jesus. I'm going to save myself from doing that and do what I want to do. He will lose it. Death, eternal damnation. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So I submit my desire, I submit my experience, I submit my tradition, I submit my addiction, I submit all these different things. I submit my depression, I submit my anxiety, I submit, and I'm just listing things here. I submit my addiction to alcohol, alcoholism. I submit all these things, and so I lose everything. I I am, you know what, God, I want you and nothing else. And if that means it has to be everything gone, then I'm okay with that. And Jesus says, and whoever loses his life for my sake... Well, he will find it because he has entered into eternity with me. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? That's why Jesus talks about that. The greatest reward, not the greatest reward. A significant reward and blessing that you can reap is whenever you go and save a soul, right? If you view that in the size of currency, saving a soul, that makes it very objectified. That's not what I'm trying to say. I can't quote exactly what scripture talks about, but Jesus puts an emphasis on how much it means the treasure behind saving souls. And that's our call to evangelism, right? That's our call to go spread the gospel with other people. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So in a way, Jesus is calling for obedience here, right? Now in a way, he is. He's calling for obedience. He says, okay, we're not saved. You're not saved by works, right? We're saved by grace through faith. But Jesus opened it. He died for all the world. He opened the door into eternity, into his house, and he calls us to step in. So we profess with our mouth. we, We become saved, right, because of what Christ has done. And now the fruit of what we do, the fruit of what we do is a sign of what's been done for us. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So he will hold accountable to each person whom they chose. God, to submit themselves and follow Christ, or to pursue themselves for a temporary joy. He will hold each person accountable to that. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. How powerful is that? And we also know, coming in his kingdom, just to clarify, this is probably a prediction of the transfiguration, which immediately follows. So, that is amazing. Uh, I'm going to catch up on some of your comments here. I I think it's so important to reiterate what Jesus actually calls us to do when he says to pick up your cross and follow him well we just um Julia we just uh finished chapter 16 so now we're kind of um vamping it all up or rehashing everything that we kind of talked about I think we need to reemphasize and be intentional about what Jesus actually calls us to do when he says, take up your cross and and follow him. Taking up our cross involves involves submitting ourselves. Taking up our cross involves bending down in reverence, submitting on one knee, saying, saying, God, you are worthy. He says, who do you say I am? You are God. Who do you say I am? If if you said, when I asked you that question earlier, who do you say I am? How would you answer that? Well, you're Jehovah. You're God, Jehovah. You are the Christ. That should change depending on how you answer that question. That should change how you live your life. Who do you say I am? Uh, You are Jehovah Rapha. you You are healer. I am a healer. You believe that? Yes, I do. All right, well, go and heal. Be healed. Who do you say I am? You are the God that set us free from sin. You believe that? Walk out. Walk out of sin. You are free from that. Because of what I've done for you. Because of the Holy Spirit upon you, you have the ability to walk away. You have the authority to rebuke the devil. Who, Who do you say I am? Well, you're the God that gave me identity. You're the God of identity. What does that mean? Well, then when you look in yourself in the mirror, or in your your selfie camera, whatever it is, that the only thing that you should see is, is praises being lifted to God for who you are. Not the immediate judgment that we're so often forced on ourselves. Oh, I'm not. I wish I was skinnier. I wish I was more attractive. I... This, that, and the other. Who do you say I am? Well, you are God. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? Man, jeepers. Julie, I love that. We should rededicate ourselves daily. We should always be intentional about who we're pursuing. Because if we're not pursuing Christ... If you're not in pursuit, you're not pursuing. Right? And pursuit is intentional. Alright, we got a comment here. Michael, but in the Bible, in the Bible, it states that if you deny God in front of people, Jesus will deny you in front of God. So if in the statement of picking up your cross and following Jesus, what does it mean? Um, bit confusing. I'm trying to... I'm sure it makes sense to you, Allie. It's good to see you. I'm coming back to door today. I will see you later, maybe. Um, well, yeah. If you, if you If you have known the truth and you deny God, you say, you know what, God? I'd rather not surrender myself. I don't want to pick up my cross and follow you. And you deny God, then Jesus, obviously, right? He died for sinners. He died for all the world. But that gift is only given to those who accept the gift, right? Receive. And so if you deny the gift, then Jesus will not step in for you. We need to be happy because he made us all unique and we are his creation. I had a quick question. So if Peter was able to recognize Jesus, does that mean that only through God? So if Peter was able to recognize Jesus, does that mean that only through God can you see who he really is? Well, let's go back to what that passage says, right? So Jesus says to him, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That only through God you can see who he really is. In Peter's case, that is what Jesus is saying. And I know that has further implications and we could try to talk about that if you want. Jenny, thanks for joining us. I'm kind of lost in my faith and I'm getting tempted a lot lately. Let's pray for you. Yeah, we'll pray. We'll we'll say a prayer at the end of this. McKay, is it McKay? Yeah. <clears throat> it's okay to get tempted. That's what you said. It's okay that you are tempted. It's not okay to fall into the temptation, right? Jesus was tempted, but he didn't succumb to the temptation. So I'm going to give it about two, three minutes before we wrap this up and pray. Um, so if you guys got anything else to say, you better say it. Julie, I'm going to have to look into those verses. Anytime, anytime you see what seemingly is a contradiction, when you think contradiction, think context. Contradiction, context. Right? So seemingly, you just asked about a contradiction. Look at the context of both verses and you might, you will find your answer. Zach, praise God. Yesterday, God set me free from my anxiety and it's amazing. Hey, bro, no pressure, but that's an amazing testimony. And if you wanted to share that with people on your story, whatever, and tag us, I mean, that's amazing. You don't have to do that. That's not why we did that. That's not why we prayed for you. Anything like that. But that is an amazing testimony of God's work. And I'd encourage you to let people know that. Every day. Hi, I'm at work, but I listen to you in between calls. Praise God. Thank you for that. All right, guys. Let's, let's pray, yeah? Somebody said something about prayer up here, and I said we were going to pray for them. I'm kind of lost in my faith. I'm getting tempted a lot lately. All right, well, let's pray. Pray for anybody feeling that way, yeah? Heavenly Father, we come before you, Jesus. And God, you spoke powerfully to our hearts. God, it comes as no surprise. We should never be surprised that when we come before you and we ask you to to bring us a new revelation of what you want for us, your heart for us and your heart, God, it should come as no surprise when you fulfill that promise every time, when you fulfill that question every time. So God, help us every single day that who we say you are, let that be the way that we live and let it be obvious to us, God, and that when you call us to take up our cross and to follow you, that we do that fully every single day that we pursue you intentionally, that we pick up our cross every single day and know whom we serve. So God, right now, I just pray for anybody that is, that is feeling like they need to refocus right now. I wanna encourage that person, that whoever is feeling like that, to just put out their hands and receive this blessing, God. God, I pray peace and joy over them. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray a spirit of conviction that leads to transformation in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that a fire every single day comes up from within by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, and leads to a life lived on fire for you, God, in Jesus' name. God, I pray that they choose you every single day, that no matter their feelings and emotions, they rest on the promises and the reality of Scripture. In Jesus' name, Father. And for the people dealing with temptation, God. God, I pray that they, put, they, they bend down, they submit themselves. We submit ourselves, God. Because I'm tempted to. That we submit ourselves. We pick up our cross and pursue you. Because you won't command us to do something. That you didn't equip us to do. So God, we submit ourselves. We surrender everything. And we pursue you with everything. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, y'all. Well, we're gonna get to the transfiguration tomorrow. Zach says, I didn't know this until like yesterday or the day before, but asking Holy Spirit to fill you every day, you just feel more and more of him in you daily. Amen. I've asked the Holy Spirit to fill me in the past. But God says, he promises, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. When you wake up and the first thing you do is, God, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Help me pursue you, Father. He's faithful. He asks you to do that. He's faithful to equip you to do so. Praise God, Julia. All right, guys. Hey, if you were touched by this, praise God. Give him a shout of praise. Like, honestly, we're going to close this off and take one minute out of your day. I say this all the time on my TikToks. Take one minute out of your day and pray. Just thank you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to me. So, amen. Praise God. Love you all. We'll see you tomorrow morning.